The Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 10, beginning at verse 17. Um, Jesus, in one of his many encounters with people along the road, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away, grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at those words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astonished and said to one another then, Who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecution and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Uh, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, I'm sort of second-guessing myself uh, on this text this morning. I fear that over the decades I have been a little bit too hard on this person that we call the rich young ruler. I think I have probably treated him rather poorly, rather shabbily from the pulpit. And I think I've just been way too hard on him. Frankly, as I've thought about this man today, I, I feel rather uh, sorry for him. He had an opportunity 
for the greatest adventure you could know. He, he had the opportunity to be a part of such a fascinating life. He had a chance to have a front row seat. I mean, think of what he missed. He missed being at a wedding where the wine ran out. And Jesus turned the water into wine, and it was the best taste in wine anyone had ever had. He didn't get to have a part in that. He missed that time in the cemetery when Jesus and the disciples were there and there was a, a man who was filled with evil spirits and he was running around with chains uh, on him and Jesus drove the evil spirits out into the pigs. You remember that story? And those demon-possessed pigs rushed down the hill and drowned in a lake. Man, that would have been something to see. He missed it. He missed that time when a, when a little guy came forward. There were 5,000 hungry people, and a, and a little boy said, I got five, uh, five loaves and two fish. He, he missed the feeding of the 5,000 and the, the collecting of 12 baskets of leftovers. He didn't get to see any of that. Instead, he turned around and returned to his predictable possessions where moths and rust consume and thieves break in to steal. I want you to relax this morning. I am not preaching on your possessions. I promise you I am not going to try to pry your fingers off of even one penny. Relax. I'm not going to be talking about your IRAs. I'm not going to be talking about your pocketbook. I am not going to be talking about a camel and how come he can't get it through the eye of the needle. Any of that stuff. If you leave this morning with any guilt at all, it's your own fault. Why would I want to talk about the one man who turned away when I could talk about the twelve who followed? Peter said, Jesus, we, we followed you. We, we left everything behind. And Jesus says to them, you're going to get a hundredfold. Man, there's a word for you. You're going to receive a hundredfold now and eternal life in the age to come. I feel sorry for the fellow who turned away, but I don't want to talk about him. What I really want to talk about this morning is how much I love the church founded by Jesus and Paul and the apostles. I wish I were better able to portray my love for, for the church. I agree with Methodist evangelist Barbara Brockhoff, who once preached a sermon where she said, I love church so much that I even love bad church. I can resonate with that. I'm 73 years old. I've seen the church all my life. Not all of it's been good. Have I been frustrated with church from time to time? Yes. Has church sometimes made me sad? Yes. 
But nothing has ever happened in the church that has even remotely made me want to walk away from it. On those rare, rare Sundays, back when I was preaching full-time, on those rare, rare Sundays when Bonnie and I had a Sunday off and we were traveling across the state or the country, church meant so much to me and to Bonnie that we started looking for churches at 11 o'clock in the morning. And it didn't matter whether I'd like to have found a Methodist, but if it's 11.05 and the first church you come up on is Baptist or Primitive Baptist or whatever, it didn't matter. We were going to be there. Not because somebody told me I had to or the bishop might have asked me later or because I was working on a perfect attendance pin or any of that stuff. It was because I love church. I guess to use our stewardship theme, I'm all in on this. I'm all in. Oh, by the way, that theme has four words, all of us in. And next week, I'm basically preaching on all of us. This week is sort of all in. I'm all in on church. Now, I know that you're thinking this is ironic. A preacher who is one-third time it says he's all in. How does, is he in just one-third or is he in 100% of one-third or how much is he really in? Well, I'm, I'm throwing my lot in with Tommy and Marcus and the th three of us together make 100%. We're all in. You know, it's, it's somewhat vain, I suppose, to say all in. I, I'm all in and, and then I'm not all in. Sometimes I'm more all in than others. Can, am I playing with words? Have you ever been more, you know, sometimes you're more all in than at other? For, I guess I shouldn't get uh, uh, sidetracked on that. But I've been in to the church founded by Jesus and the apostles all of my life. Those, those who founded who contended with, who defended the church. I love the tradition uh, uh, at Notre Dame football. I, I don't know whether they still do this or not. I tried to look it up, but I couldn't find anything. But at, at one point, when you began playing football at Notre Dame and you came on the team as a freshman and they issued you a jersey with your number on the back, they also gave you with that jersey a list of every person who had ever worn that number. Wow, that is so awesome to me to think that, that, that you as a freshman football player, they were saying to you, you're not the first person who's ever worn this number. And there may have been some people who before you who wore this same number and sweated and toiled and gave themselves in the same way that you're doing now. And I wonder sometimes if we don't, you know, need some way that kind of tradition in the church that when I come in through these doors, when I stand in this pulpit, um, I remember, you remember, I'm not the first person who ever sat in this pew or stood in this pulpit that, that we have this 
rich tradition. Where, where else in society can you find tradition that goes back to that kind of truth, taking it all the way back to, to the Ten Commandments and then all the way up through Jesus and beyond? Where else do we find that richness that when the preacher on Communion Sunday uh, says, um, this is my body and this is my blood, he or she is repeating the very words of Jesus. That when we say the Apostles' Creed, we are reciting um, the faith um, that was first recited uh, just a century or so after Jesus died. That when we heard the Gospel of Mark read this morning, we heard something that was first written in A.D. 60. Where else does one find that kind of tradition? Why, when Christmas comes, we will sing uh, one of our favorite hymns in Latin. We don't know what we're saying. Gloria in excelsis Deo, but we love to sing it. What is around yon virgin anyway? We love our tradition. And, and before you start to say, well, Henshaw doesn't like contemporary Christian music. Yes, I do. I love the music written in the 1950s and 1960s. <laughs> Think of what the rich young ruler left behind. Was it, was it the guy from, I really can't remember, was it the guy from Microsoft who sold all his stock uh, just before he could have become a multi-billionaire? I'm not going to beat up on the fellow. Uh, I'm just sorry that he left. I love the church. And I love the church for what it does. I asked my father once, I probably was fishing around for a stewardship sermon. I said, Dad, why, why do you give to the church? Why do, you, why do you put an offering in the offering plate? He said, I can never repay the church for what it's done for me and my family. He was baptized in a creek by a Methodist preacher in the little crossroads community of Boxley, Indiana. And I sat with him and my mother and my three siblings in church every Sunday. He said, I can never repay the church. That's why I do this. And it's true. And I can never repay the church. Bonnie and I have been a part of Mulberry Street for 20 years. That makes us relatively young in comparison to some of you who've been members of this church all your life or 50 or 60 years. But for me, this is the church now that I have been a part of longer than any other church in my entire life, 12 years as your pastor and eight years 
sitting third row from the back in which I hope to get back to pretty soon. We've been here two decades and I could never repay Mulberry for who you are and for what you have meant and mean to me and to Bonnie and to my children. I'm like my father. I can't give enough. I'll probably talk about some of those things more next week. But I got to thinking about things like the Plum Pudding Festival. And Mulberry celebrates the arts and hammers hands and hearts. And all those things that happened before I was ever here. And to get the opportunity just two or three years ago with this church, sponsored by this church, to go to the Dominican Republic with a bunch of college kids from this church and to work in Haitian refugee villages. I love the church for what it does and what it enables us to do. But most of all, even beyond the tradition, even beyond what the church does, I love the church for its witness to eternal values. The church speaks a different language. You call it the kingdom of heaven. You can call it the kingdom of God. You can call it salvation. You can call it immortality or resurrection. But, but the church talks about and points us towards invisible reality what St. Augustine calls the city of God. And I've been part of lots of organizations over my life. Amnesty International, Sierra Club, Bread for the World, Rotary, Marriage Enrichment, all of them very, very good institutions. But only the church of Jesus speaks to the depth and to the hunger. As a, as a deer pants for water, so do I yearn for you, O living God, Psalm 42. And it is in that panting and yearning that the church helps us to understand. One of my earliest memories in life I had to be less than five because at age five we moved. One of my earliest memories in life was in the tiny, tiny little town of Cicero, Indiana. And I only remember two buildings in Cicero, Indiana. One is my house, my childhood house, and the other is my childhood church. I'm sure my parents must have taken me into other little stores in that little community, but the, the, but the building I remember is walking into the Cicero Christian Church. It couldn't have been very big. 
but it had a ceiling that felt like it was like this. And to a five-year-old, it was the biggest room I had ever been in in my whole life, and I was in the act of walking up those steps and into that sanctuary, this little five-year-old was overwhelmed with immensity and eternity. I don't have anything against church in a place with an eight-foot ceiling and acoustic tiles and fluorescent lights. But even the architecture here says something to us about eternity. Nowhere else but in the church do we talk about creation and redemption and forgiveness and eternity. And hopefully, at least for a while, when we enter the church, we dismiss the trivialities of this world, the crises du jour. And maybe we force ourselves to leave Twitter or Facebook or TikTok behind. They are not anything about eternal verities anyway, let alone, heaven help us, CNN or Fox News or let's make a deal. They're all distractions, all distractions. Sometimes we force ourselves to come to church. I have had to force myself. Sometimes we enter here with hearts overwhelmed with grief and guilt and shame. Sometimes we come here discouraged, asking ourselves, does life have any meaning? Maybe we're facing divorce. Maybe financial ruin is scaring us. Maybe there is, is a, an internal moral debate going on in us. Maybe we just have the blahs. Maybe we're wrestling with God like Jacob uh, in the Old Testament. And we come in and we sit down and suddenly Zachary begins to play that organ. Or suddenly we began to sing, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. Or suddenly we begin to ask that question in that song, Ask ye what great thing I know, Who is life in life to me, Who the death of death will be? Or maybe we get caught by surprise when we hear our own voice saying with the rest of the congregation, I believe in the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sin. Or maybe the liturgist says, the Lord be with you, and before we know it, we said, well, and also with you. Or the sun shines through that third stained glass window and we look up and that little child that is being held in Jesus' arms seems to be looking at us right at that moment. Or the preacher 
in the morning prayer or the choir on these steps prays or sings the very words that our heart and soul has wordlessly been trying to say. And deep speaks to deep. And in those sacred moments, be known only to you. Eternity quietly creeps in or boldly invades your heart and, and your soul is lifted up and your knees are no longer weak and hearts again are brave and arms again are strong. Who offers that? Where else can we find that? Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where else can we go? He walked away, grieving and sorrowful. I don't want to paint his life as being bad. Maybe he walked away to a wife and three children and a beautiful Labrador retriever. I'm not telling you that his life was bad. He walked away from Jesus. He may have grieved for a while and the rest of his life may have been fine. But he never knew what he missed. Oh, Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. I'm all in. I'm all in for the church. I'm all, all, all in.